The Old Testament reading for this Sunday is recorded in Isaiah chapter 25, beginning verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle is recorded in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning verse 13 which speaks of the day of our resurrection. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not proceed those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So... And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. 
Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there will be a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth about his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Okay, we're all the kiddos. I know you're around because school's coming up. A long time ago, there was a guy named Mark Twain. He was a great writer. And he went to England. He was given a special prize for being a great writer. And he looked about him, and there were statues of all the important writers in the English language. He saw Shakespeare, who was dead. He saw Wordsworth's statue. He was dead. He saw all the great writers of England and Scotland. And as he gazed at all of them, he said to the assembled crowd, I see before me all the great writers, but I've noticed one thing about all of them. You want to guess? I note that they all are, let's say it together, starts with D and ends in Ed, dead. Then he added, And as for me, I'm not feeling so well myself. Are any of you feeling poorly this morning? Everybody feels great. Well, as you get older, that won't happen much. How many of you think that someday you might die? Well, that's the general question. Oh, good. Some people got both hands up. <laughs> How is it possible for you to still be living and never die? If you were listening to the epistle, you might still be living only if what? You happen to be living on the last day when Jesus comes again. Then you will not die you'll be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But it's for most of us, everybody you're looking at is going to die, and they're looking at you, knowing you will die too. Every human being is two things. There's the body... And then what's that second part? Soul. We're told of Adam that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. 
So what we are, all of us this day, is body, and soul. How's that? Now the question is, what am I going to do with this? How long have you ever been able to keep a balloon? Very long? What sort of things happen to it? It can deflate. <laughs> if you get older, then you kind of start to deflate right? Or suddenly, when you're just having fun and nothing seems to be happening, oh no, oh no. <laughs> you know, accidents happen in life too. What? And if you go to a funeral, what you see in the casket is basically kind of like that. Now, can I do anything to fix this? No. Pretty hopeless, right? That's what they used to think in the ancient world. When you die, the best they can do is plant you. How's that? When Lazarus died, he was really dead. The Jews used to wait an entire day and to see whether someone was really alive. They'd poke them, talk to them, see if they were really alive. And if they still seemed to be dead, <coughs> then they would plant them. It's a miracle. This is like resurrection. When Lazarus came out of the tomb, walking out of the tomb, that was really Lazarus. Wasn't a ghost. His body was fully restored, even though he had started to rot, not smell too good. But in spite of all that, the stinky dead Lazarus came out alive because Jesus called him. Now that's the very same thing that will happen to us on the last day. You'll be minding your own business when suddenly Jesus will say things like, Jesse, come out! And you'll come out of the grave whole and complete and you will never deflate or get popped <clears throat> death will have no power over you ever again. The Lazarus story points us to Jesus himself who dies and then rises again. And he's the guarantee that you're going to have a resurrection. How's that? So what have you got to worry about? Nothing. Okay, so you can go back worrying about nothing. Anybody want a balloon? No, you can't have it. 
Sanctify them by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. If I was to give this sermon 30 years ago, I wouldn't be so flippant. I wouldn't be trying to tell little jokes and funny things about it because there's nothing funny about death. Although in this account, we're told that after Lazarus died, the Jews came out and tried to, the word says, comfort the sisters. But it's not the right kind of comfort. Paraklesis is the Greek for, word for what Christians do as comfort. It talks about Christ risen, promise of resurrection, eternal life, new creation, all by God's power in Christ. That's the comfort that has to be spoken. But in this day and age, as in the days of Jesus, there was a lot of useless, empty flummery going on. St. John, by inspiration, uses a completely different term, not the one you would expect, but he has a term, paramithomenoi. It means... You try to comfort people with useless myths. Mythoi. I'm sure you've all gone to a funeral or a nursing home and the deceased is lying there and someone's crying and then someone will come up and say, it's okay. Is it? Or he's a good guy. I'm sure he's with God now. He's such a wonderful person. To whose estimation? Ask his wife. Or husband. This is this useless speaking of false comfort to try to overcome death. And what I did this morning is not really an attempt at it, but some people think that by telling jokes, that's going to take away the sting of death. That happens in funeral homes now, too. You tell stories about the deceased. The funny times he'd fall off the boat when he's trying to go fishing, or other such things. It might take your mind off the problem a little while, but it does not comfort it does not help at all. So what does modern America do aside from these silly things to try to alleviate the problem of death? How many of you have ever had any kind of surgery at all? Whoa. Yeah, from tonsillectomies to heart surgery and everything in between. But modern American pagan culture says not to worry. We trust in the ability of the medical community. We know that eventually, if we wait long enough and study long enough and do scientific research long enough, we will be able to overcome death. This is why the American Heart Association asks you for money. They tell you that they can overcome these problems. Or the National Cancer Institute. Many of the universities ask for money too because they say we have a surefire method 
We have a plan. We're very close to overcoming cancer and bad hips and bad eyes, bad knees. I can't say bad brains because that doesn't fix very well. We're told to not worry about death because technology will take care of it all. The trouble is it's not going to happen that way. I'm going to make a prediction based on the American trust in the ability of technology to heal and stave off death. I predict that that's going to cost us so much money that even those who get to live longer, maybe near 100 years old, that if you put all the research and cost of the medications, you put it all together, this country, because of its godless way of thinking it can stave off death, is going to be bankrupt. You can spend every resource, all the money, use all the brains that will ever come up to this nation, and it will all be for nothing. We'll go bankrupt. We're all going to die. And the scripture also says, after death, then comes the judgment. Now that's a double whammy. You cannot possibly stave off death. Eventually it will catch up to you. But even worse, what are you going to say to God? To all this, Martha is a very modern woman. She somehow has shifted all the blame off of mankind and his sinfulness and tries to shift it all over to Jesus. We're told that Jesus purposely stayed away. He did not come when he was called. She had sent word that the one whom you love is sick, meaning he continues to be sick and he's not getting better. Please come quickly. Jesus purposely stayed away. He allowed Lazarus to die. The culture that we live in today has the same problem. Just as she was peeved with Jesus, so is our culture. If he's really a loving God, how could he let that happen? So-and-so is such a perfect person. Or that baby seems so cute and innocent. Uh, I think we got a baby out there somewhere. Right behind Daryl. That's a sinful little human being. Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's an indictment. News flash. Jesus didn't come to take away death for us now. He has not come to be the grand physician that takes away every problem. Even if every sickness, disease, and death itself could be taken away, do you see a problem that still exists? You have to face God as a sinful, hopeless human being. Just like there's no cure for death, there's no cure for sin. Although in Jesus' day they tried, they were no more careful, picky, unish 
faithful people than the Jews. Every final little detail was tried to be overcome by their goodness, their merit, their worthiness. But none of that can overcome death. So death is going to come. The best thing you can do is also something that Martha does. When Jesus says to her, I am the I am, that means the true God, the resurrection and the life, that if you have faith in him, though you may die physically, you will have eternal life. He says that to her and then says, do you believe that? And she says, yes. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the promised Messiah, the Son of God, which is the two necessary confessions of the Christian faith, who literally is continuing to be coming into the world. Not past tense, that's a bad translation. The good news is not only Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, but that he is continually coming not merely to the world in general, but to each and every one of us and to every person you know, neighbors, co-workers, even strangers. That's the good news. Because now in this time, he is coming not for judgment, but to bring forgiveness, peace with God, and eternal life. Now to demonstrate he's the one that can do this thing, you have this amazing event. Jesus wept, we're told. What's he crying about? Because Lazarus is going to have to go through death twice. But the good thing is, as he had told the disciples earlier, Lazarus' death is meant to glorify God. By his dying, then his rising, he will point to Jesus as the Messiah. And that's what happens on Palm Sunday. Lazarus comes in to Jerusalem with Jesus, and so John tells us there was a plot to kill not only Jesus, but also Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Jesus then goes to the tomb. I found over the years that one of the best places to talk about Jesus, aside from a hospital room, where people are somewhat worried about death, but also at the graveside. Although sadly, nowadays, many Americans don't want to go to the graveside. They don't even bother with a graveside service. They don't want anything to be close to death. But they come to the tomb, and Jesus says the unthinkable. Open it up. Take away the stone. And Martha's response is, but Lord, look, there is a terrible, literal stench, the stench of death. We can't open up that tomb. All we'll smell is my dead brother. Jesus reminds her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you'd see God's glory? So some poor schlups on that day got the job of opening up that stinky stone and what was the expectation death 
When the women went to the tomb on Easter morning, what did they expect? Death. Our human expectations cannot see past the reality of death, except through Christ Jesus, who himself rises from the dead. The stone in this case is removed, and as soon as this happens, Jesus yells out this command. He doesn't do it quietly. Maybe this won't work, and then maybe somebody won't hear me say what I'm just going to say. Maybe it can be covered up. Maybe this could be a failure after all. No, he yells out, Lazarus, come out. And the Greek means come out now. This is the command of the very Son of God. Now, the only sad thing is that Lazarus starts to come out, and what is he, how is he able to come out? His whole body is still bound in the linens. He's probably come out somewhat like a mummy. How is he able to know which direction to go? Listen to the voice. Go toward the light, who is Christ. I present to you that that's very much what's going to happen on your resurrection so long as you remain faithful to Christ to the very end. You too will hear his voice, and by his power you will come out of the grave, and you'll come into the light that has no end. This is the Christian expectation. The body we lie in the grave by faith in Christ, then we expect to have this physical, bodily resurrection into life eternal. And that's the Christian faith. Following in the footsteps of Jesus and also Lazarus. So be of good cheer. Don't have wrong expectations about overcoming death in some human way. Jesus is risen and we too shall rise. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.